Welcome to Next in Nonprofits. I'm Steve Boland, and I could not be more thrilled to be joined today by John Loomer of johnloomer.com. John, thanks for taking the time. Thanks for having me on, Steve. I asked to speak with you today as a longtime follower of your work regarding uh, Facebook engagement and the right way to use those tools. But for people that don't yet know or follow your work, can you just explain a little bit about what you do? Sure. So, <clears throat> man, it's, it's, uh, I mean, uh, if we go long story, short story, but uh, it's been about six and a half years now. I focus primarily on Facebook ads education. So uh, it's a matter of trying to give you the tools to understand. Now, how best to leverage this tool or leverage Facebook ads, um, either smaller budgets, larger budgets. Uh, so that's really my focus. So helping people understand the right ways to engage audiences on Facebook is a big area. And you've mm -hmm. you know um, sort of accidentally tripped into it full time, as you said. You did not start out to become a, a Facebook ad person. Um, you want to just mention briefly kind of how you came into the world of Facebook communication? Yeah, it's, it's interesting. I worked for the National Basketball Association uh, from 2005, end of 2005 into 2008 overseeing fantasy games. And when I did that, I was lucky enough to be part of a partnership with Facebook when it was just coming out to the world, to the non-students, the old folks, as we say. <laughs> and um, so it was, there were about 50 million people on Facebook at the time. And so we partnered with Facebook to create an app before you could create your own app. And that was the first, or maybe one of the first two admins of the official Facebook or uh, NBA Facebook group. And that was before there were pages. So that's how far back I go um, using Facebook um, and so and, and using Facebook for business purposes. So um, once I left the NBA uh, for whatever reason on my own own terms, I ended up uh, actually working in a nonprofit for a little bit. I worked for uh, American Cancer Society. And so whether it was working for them or, and, uh, you know, eventually doing some consulting and whatnot, or then promoting my own business, I had this knowledge of Facebook because I was just, I fell in love with the platform really from a user's perspective first um, back in 2007. And um, so I was just really, really comfortable with it. And uh, so once, once I needed to promote my own business, I use Facebook to do that. Next thing you know, it's not that I'm just promoting my business with it. I'm talking about how to use it. And how to use it in uh, a genuine as it was intended way. And the way that Facebook has been intended has really shifted over the years. Uh, so uh, I want to get to the, the reason that I asked for some of your time today, more specifically around a, a post you put up in January about, you know, marketers will screw this up. Um, and let's talk a little bit about the Facebook algorithm and all that. But before we get into what it looks like now, I think just a moment back of when charities first were considering how do they engage audiences in a conversation about their mission work in a platform that is really designed for um, you know friends and family to talk, not necessarily for brands to talk at people? Um, but you know that said, early on, Facebook was really encouraging uh, businesses and organizations to say, no, no, come in, create you know your group, get a page set up, bring your people to Facebook so that you know they can engage with you here. That was absolutely a part of the early messaging. And I think there was a land rush, uh, you know, maybe more in 2010, 2011, not, not as early as 2008, but there was a land rush of charities going, oh, oh, hey, this is a, a free way to get a hold of people. We don't have to send postal mailings. We don't have to do this stuff. 
so they did. They did jump in and create pages and start asking their followers and their fans in the community to follow them there. Um, but things have really evolved since that time. And I don't know if you have thoughts about kind of how it used to be and how maybe some charities that at least I've seen are still kind of thinking in that mentality of this, you're welcome to broadcast here, it's what you do versus Facebook has really changed since that time. Well, it, it, to be honest, it, it's not so much about uh, Facebook, the platform, um, changing what they want you to do and how do you want and how you should use it. It's more a matter of there's a lot more competition there now. Yeah. So in the beginning, you could put about just about anything out there and reach reach your audience, whoever that is. Um, the problem is, and kind of the uh, you know the source uh, of inspiration for that blog post you referred to, is that marketers have done their job to you know make Facebook a pretty poor user experience, um, and to, to essentially you know make it all about me being me, buy this stuff the deception um, of marketing often. So, you know, this is often not the case when we're talking about charities, but it's businesses in general um, looking to manipulate the algorithm and manip manipulate users. You got clickbait, engagement bait, all that stuff that users would not do. Brands ended up doing, marketers ended up doing, which forced Facebook to make changes to the algorithm because it was creating a bad user experience. And if you kind of look back to the history of these algorithm changes, it's almost always due to brands using Facebook in unnatural ways. So and when it comes back to charities, nonprofits, I, honestly, I think there's still a great opportunity there because um, there's, it's still a good platform for storytelling, for conversation, for you know, getting discussion going about um, either what it is what you that you do, or um, the problem is the problem that you're trying to solve. So people have their own stories. Get get people to contribute their own stories uh, in this conversation. I think that stuff is still going to do pretty well. Well, it can if it's approached from that um, authentic way that you talk about in your work. And I think that that's a really important advantage to a charity page as opposed to anything. Right. But I think a lot of the response that some nonprofits are having is because they're seeing conversations about, you know, the Facebook algorithm has shifted that uh, pages are going to be seen, you know, fewer than 6% of the time, fewer than 5% of the time, fewer than, and, you know, drop and drop and drop. Um, that if you put a post up, any one random individual that might be following following, quote unquote, your Facebook uh, page is less and less likely to just see that as a broadcast mechanism. If, if the only thing that you're doing is just, you know, hey, we're having an event next week, here's how you can be there. Um, and there's no user engagement, there's there's no um, uh, more person to person kind of support and, and talk around that. It is less likely to be seen than, you know, other stuff in the feed that might get prioritized by Facebook. I mean, that that change has happened and that is part of the response of the just overall number of brands that are trying to communicate as opposed to people that you're actually friends with. Well, that five, five or 6% number isn't a universal thing. And it's not something right. that Facebook has reported on either. Um, it's basically what, you, what you're hearing from a lot of brands when you kind of take an average. Right? And, and so that's, if, if you've cultivated a really strong audience, you may see some, see something completely different. Now, 
my issue with, and I'm actually about to publish a blog post about reach right now. Um, my issue with this number with reach, Facebook's kind of done, done itself a disservice in this because what, what, what percentage of your audience do you reach on Twitter? Uh, you know, 30, maybe I would say on average, you, you think you reach 30% of your audience on Twitter? Yeah, I do. I, that's the um, metrics that I see when I'm checking in on what's going on. Now, I have a much smaller following than you do. So my core is a little bit more, you know, into making sure that we are doing what we're doing. But yeah, I would I would guess that I'm in that neighborhood. Well, because Twitter doesn't really report that, though. They don't really report a reach in the first place. Well, it does and... give you number of uh, posts shown to who, right? I mean, that's in the analytics. Uh, the, here's the problem, though, with Twitter. It's all about retweeting and yes, it's sure. the, the level and quality of engagement is so poor there that um, generally what, and people kind of look past whatever it is you know, that they can expect on any other social platform because they don't really get the same depth of metrics that, that they do on Facebook. Mm -hmm. So they, they kind of have this false you know, expectation of what because you know, early, early going of Facebook when their followers were new when the competition was lower, like, oh, I can reach 80% of people or even more sometimes. Mm -hmm. um, they have that expectation and then they see that number drop and drop and drop and like, well, what, what in the world's going on here? The reality is you compare it even to like email open rates, which right. is a stationary uh, target as opposed to Facebook where it matters when you're online. It, to me, it doesn't seem all that unreasonable. I mean, but, you know, maybe, maybe I'm a, a Facebook apologist. I don't know. Well, but it is to the point of, you know, what you've been writing about with this authentic engagement with an audience for yeah. that network. Um, you know, what I write about is nonprofit management, which is not a very Facebook sexy kind of topic, right? You know, um, charities that are in the business of, uh, you know, adopting cats and dogs, it's a fantastic platform for them, right? That people love to have those conversations about, you know, their companion animals and pictures and all sorts of stuff. Um, less likely to really want to talk about um, you know, engagement metrics of social networks uh, on Facebook. I do get a lot more of that in other places, Twitter, email, blah, blah, blah. But part of it is being authentic to who I'm trying to talk to, what my messages are, and what's the right platform for that. And you you kind of talk about that a little bit in your, uh, you know, marketers will, will screw this up post to say, maybe there are some times when you should just think this isn't the right kind of yeah. conversation for the Facebook neighborhood. And right. it's okay to not try to force engagement in that place on that topic so that when you do have a more Facebook friendly engagement thing to do, it's it's the right thing in the right space. And maybe this is just a great moment to kind of transition into um, that that blog post specifically about um, people's responses to uh, you know perceived changes in what the algorithm is. And as you said in your blog post, we we're not even you know totally sure yet what that impact looked like because it's sure. it's all pretty new. It is, it is. And um, instead of always looking to think of, okay, how is this algorithm changing in ways that I can manipulate it? Right. Uh, because you know what's going to happen if you manipulate it, Facebook's <laughs> going to make another change. Because, <laughs> uh, look, I, I have really not changed my approach at all over the past six and a half years of, of my Facebook page, um, other than, you know, my frequency and things like that. And it's not all necessarily always about strategy. It's just, you know, it's I, I've got something to post or I don't. Um, but, uh, the, the main thing is kind of thinking it from the perspective of a user. And I think this is something is we just easily, easily miss. 
because as I go through my newsfeed, I know the stuff that annoys the heck out of me and I'm not mm -hmm. going to engage with it. And I don't want to be like that. And then I think about the stuff that I actually do engage with. And it's not because I've been manipulated or, you know, it's any kind of mind games or anything like that. It's something that's seriously interesting, engaging, sometimes controversial, informational, educational, whatever. Um, that's the kind of stuff that does well. So, um, I, whenever any of this stuff happens, there's, there seems to be a mad rush to uh, how do we, how should we change now yeah. um, to adjust to, to what Facebook is doing. The reality is maybe you just need to change generally in, in a way that you know that you'll survive through future updates as well. And that's just a matter of be interesting, be entertaining, be, be, be what the people who followed you wanted you to be in the first place. And, and I know people, uh, brands and I'm sure charities would get defensive at that too. And think that everyone who follows you wants to see all of your stuff, no matter what it is. <laughs> that's it. And that's a truth, that honest belief of a lot of people. Sure. Like they, they liked my page for a reason. They want to see all my stuff. Um, but the reality is, First of all, people follow your page, like your page for many different reasons. Sometimes just to say, yes, I agree with that. I think that's a good cause. Mm -hmm. um, sometimes it, it's a cause that meant a lot to them at the time. And you, a lot of us have been on Facebook for many, many years. It right. may not be all that relevant to them now. So, so this, this goes beyond just, okay, what is my tone? And you know, make sure I'm, I'm a good storyteller. Make sure I involve my audience. It's also about making sure we're building a quality audience. Because as you recall, back in the early days of Facebook, when we were all figuring it out, it was all, it's all about numbers padding. Like, how many likes do you have on your page? Yep. How can I increase that number? Guess what? That attitude, that approach is why so many people have horrible reach right now. Because they're all they cared about is like, how, how can I increase that number? Assuming that it's a universal value that they're all going to engage at the same level. It's going to mean the same amount to each person that now likes the page. The reality is if you, if you weren't focused on quality, um, they're not going to engage your stuff with your stuff. They're going to still like your page maybe, but unfollow you, pull you out of the newsfeed. They might even report you. Um, all these things are going to happen for low quality uh, people. So, we need to kind of Im improve on that going forward too. making sure we're attracting the right people in the first place, not creating fluff content just to generate engagement, just to generate more likes or larger audience. We want our ideal audience who are going to be excited about seeing our stuff. We're going to want to see our stuff, maybe without us even prompting them. They're going to select uh, to see us first in their news feed because they care so much about you know, whatever it is we're talking about. So th this, there are multiple angles to this. It's not just our approach to the content. It's our approach to building this audience too. Right. And I appreciate how you're um, differentiating on your post to trying to call back to people that not um, everybody here is coming in this with the intention of being a bad actor. Uh, you know, there are there are maybe some, you know, marketers out there that, that sit down and rub their hands together with an evil grin going, how can I game the algorithm today and you know, have an evil laugh? But I think a lot of other folks are, are hearing the, well, you know, you should have more video and, you know, like, oh, okay, I'll, I'll just go get more video when it maybe isn't. <laughs> 
isn't necessarily a uh, a native or organic way of you to communicate, and you're doing it just because you heard that Facebook likes that better, um, and and that can I think come across to your supporters like, well, this doesn't feel like you know a way that they would talk to me, but now they're doing right. it, and it you know it's not really creating that engagement. So um, I, I do think that your call to say um, you need to be authentic to who you are and not try to just be responsive to what you think an algorithm wants you to do um, is really going to be better for everybody in the long run. But you're also, I'm hearing really clearly right now, saying that you know that means you may have to recognize that that number of likes is not the same thing as the number of engaged audience members that you could be having legitimate and meaningful conversations with on that platform. Right, and your mention of video is a good point too, because yes, in a vacuum, video is extremely engaging. It grabs the user's attention. Uh, it's a really good way to get people um, either aware of, of you or kind of involved in some sort of message that you're putting out there where there's such a low barrier for entry, right? Because normally it's like, oh, I've got this link and you have to click it and do you trust it? Do, do I want to click it? Do I want to go out of yeah. Facebook right now? Um, whereas with the video with autoplay and if you do it intelligently without sound where it still has meaning, they can just watch it, stop in their newsfeed, watch it, engage with it, and get some value out of it and learn something about you. Um, that said, it doesn't mean just create any old video. Uh, like we've seen people do static images they turn into a video because they're yeah. trying to game. It's just ridiculous stuff like that. Um, so it's still a matter of, okay, what is the best way to get my message out there? It could be video, but you still have to use it in the right way, kind of the way it was intended. Uh, and and the, anything that increases the value of that piece of content, of that conversation, sure, use video, but don't force it. Yeah. So the you, you've got a, a long list of some of the uh, newsfeed changes in your blog post, which again will be linked in the show notes here. Of you know, this is changing, that is changing, kinds of things, and you do so with humor and fun, and I really appreciate that. But it's also very useful information to um, to read and understand. So one of the things you just mentioned a moment ago is this concept of uh, um, do your um, fans. Uh, engage well enough with you to think, well, I'm going to actually um, ask to see this post first. I want to see these in my newsfeed for sure. And at the moment, anyway, there's still user level control over that to be able mm -hmm. to say, you know, put this at the top. If there's a new thing from this charity, I want to know about it. Um, we, I think, you know, it, it, I, I struggle a little bit with how much education do you do on the Facebook platform of, look, if you're not seeing what's going on here, and part of the algorithm is about the fact that you won't see it if other people don't see it because there's no engagement, how do you kind of get over that first hump? Yeah. Do you talk to your supporters and say, look, this is an option. Maybe not everybody uses it, but yeah. it's here. And if you like what, what we're talking about and you want to make sure that you don't miss it because there's a lot of other interesting things in your feed, here's a tool. Um, I personally have gone to charities and said, let's make sure at least everybody on your board of directors and staff have done this because you can talk to your super fans that way really easily in person without having to try and clog up the feed with all kinds of spammy, you know, please do this to make oh, sure yeah. you see our post things. 
And if those people then engage um, with the post and find interesting things to say and start conversations and whatnot, then it, you know, it may have that opportunity for more organic uh, reach with, with users. Uh, but that one's a tough one for me to reconcile the how much do you push people yes. to say see first versus um, you know, um, doing it off platform or whatever. And I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah, it, it's a tricky thing, that see first, because unfortunately, the way it's typically used by marketers is a post that goes along the lines of Facebook is keeping you from seeing the seeing my post. Never mind that you're seeing this post right now. <laughs> right. So this is probably not even the audience you need to be worried about. But right. it's, a, it's a whiny post that's kind of misleading about what's actually happening. And it's, it's like, if you don't click see first, you're not going to see it. Don't do that. Because ultimately what that does, it annoys a large group of people too, who instead of clicking see first may say unfollow or unlike, because yeah. give me a break, get this out of here. Um, so, but sure, you can still educate them of, about see first, but I'd just be very careful about how you do that. Um, because it is kind of like a matrix, right? You're like, if if you're telling them to click see first because they might not otherwise see all their stuff, well, if they're already seeing your stuff, they're probably not the ones that are the issue in the first place. And it's kind of hard to, I mean, really what you might be, need to do is reach those people who aren't otherwise seeing your stuff with ads. So uh, it is, it's a difficult spot. I mean, I think educating them on it is okay. You just gotta be really careful with the way you communicate that. Yeah, and I I'm not sure um, what number of uh, Facebook users really understand that option. Do you have any sense of how many people know that that's a thing that they can do and actually execute that that tool for brands that they really care about? I don't, but I, I yeah. can tell you that every time Facebook's had any type of feature um, like lists um, and uh, any privacy, it seems anything that controls what you see and what you don't, it's the only the the top 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 users who who access these tools who right. make use of these tools so um chances are if they're if someone's uh potentially going to use c first they already know about it and the rest of people are probably not going to use it yeah, I, I mean, that's my sense, too, is it's not a tool that most people would pick up and do on their own, um, and that's fine. But yeah. now we get into that idea of how do you encourage engagement without getting clickbaity? Um, yeah. And I think that this is uh, um, engagement. You've got a, a list on your um uh, kind of sample newsfeed changes that says no engagement bait either. You know, let's let's not go there. So um, talk a little bit about how you think a, a nonprofit organization can uh, help encourage that that organic conversation without getting engagement baity. What where is that line for a charity? Yeah, and and let me make one more point on that. See first thing. Uh, yeah. re remember that you're one of dozens, if not sometimes hundreds of brands that they someone follows. Right. If they all said that, click D C first, and you click C first on everybody, you're not going to see anybody. It's it's all it's me. That's huge competition issue again. Now with C first, so you just got to remember you're one of many that people are following. Right. Uh, but but in terms of uh, the engagement, but I, I think it's important to understand what engagement bait is. It's not a matter of that Facebook doesn't want you to encourage people to comment and engage and and provide feedback. It's the whole click 
click like if you agree click love if you don't click you right. know all this stuff basically if you are encouraging users to use um facebook in the reactions in natural ways unnatural ways that kind of uh, misleads on what it is they meant by that reaction. But, you know, did they actually love this? Did they actually um, think this was funny? Um, as opposed to these polls that, that right. tell you to do one thing or the other. So I think um, it, it's it's still important to kind of uh, inspire some sort of reaction. And some uh, using a call to action is still good. So as opposed to like, here's my thing, here's my link, and just sharing it and hoping they click on it. Still like, hey, go ahead, read this. You know, let me know what you think about it. It's, that's still completely normal and expected and the kind of things you should be doing. Um, I think the bottom line is just remembering to encourage the natural use of um, Facebook's uh, uh, um, reactions and comments and everything the way that Facebook intended. If it's outside of the way Facebook intended, that's the kind of stuff that they're gonna start clamping down on. Yeah. And and it's just no good in the long run, even if it does provide you some sort of short-term boost uh, in the organic reach. And I do want to get into um, the paid reach question in, in just a moment, but I want to talk a little bit about um, that authentic engagement around your mission, your work, and what's the you know the right way for a nonprofit to think about this. Because, uh, you know, when you hear about that idea of a, um, you know, a engaging video is great. I absolutely could take a short video of me and my extremely cute beagle um, sitting around talking about peer-to-peer uh, um, -peer engagement campaigns on uh, large-scale donation platforms. Yes, it's a cute dog. You know, right. that's great. People love cute dogs. Everybody loves cute dogs. It's not really what I'm trying to talk to you about. So if, if you're out there searching for cute gifts and all the rest of it that really aren't about your mission, that really aren't about, you know, what you're trying to talk to people about, Sure, it's cute. It might stop somebody for a moment or whatnot. But to me, that's that, you know, you're doing it to game things a little bit rather than you're doing it because it legitimately adds to the conversation that you're having. It legitimately gives people more um, information or excitement or something about your work. Um, so if you're going to be thinking about, you know, gee, video does better or whatever, what's the video that really does speak to your mission, your work, your thing, and not just that it's a cute dog or it's, you know, a funny gif of somebody falling down or whatever. And I think ultimately that's going to serve charities better. It will not have that short-term spike that the cute dog video would, but it, it's going to, I think, ultimately serve you better. Yeah, and really the, the cute dog stuff, depending on, I guess, uh, what it is your charity does, it might be around cute dogs, but right. it, it's completely unnecessary though otherwise because there's so much you can do. I mean, you've got heroes and people who are doing stuff for your, uh, raising money for you and fighting um, fighting for your cause. You've got doctors and, and you know, depending on, on your charity, uh, what what, are, what is it you're doing with this money that people are contributing and where the amazing stories are coming from this? There's so much you can do with video to tell these stories that could and if not should get the same type of spike that a silly dog, silly dog video would get. Assuming you've got an audience of people who wants to see this stuff, which they hopefully you built your audience the right way to, to the point where, yes, they care about this mission. So um, I, I just think that it's, it's super lazy for a char charity to, to dip into, um, uh, you know, the, the crazy, you know, 
the, again, the dog videos, as opposed to all the things that they can pull from right. that's interesting. Yes. So I think absolutely think about the platform that you're on and how people use it and, and what's the right way to have a, a conversation. Um, and honestly, again, I think, you know, publishing a 40-page a, a white paper you know, on Facebook maybe is not the way um, to genuinely get people involved. That instead, thinking about the conversations that people have on Facebook and how they might share information with their neighbors, and then be able to link out and talk about, here's other resources, here's more stuff, here's the rest of it, you know, on your own site, on some other place that is more appropriate for that deep dive, that when they're they're done with Facebook for the moment and they don't want to be scrolling through their feed anymore, maybe that's the time when they can have that more in-depth conversation with you about your mission work and, and think about how do I want to volunteer or whatever the, the next level of engagement might be. But I do think that there are some um, intentionality around that you're on Facebook, that not, as you were saying earlier, not everything you have to say is the right thing to say here and expect the same kind of interaction for every post. And that's a really important message you you brought forth in, in this don't mess it up marketers post. Yeah. And, and look, the, the 40 page white paper um, is a tough one to promote and share on Facebook, but at the same time, you could use, say, video to provide some background to what, what's happening in this 40-page this white paper. What, what, what are the primary um, takeaways that make this really, really interesting and why you should maybe click on this link to go download it or whatever? Right. Um, so, no, you know, using video at all times isn't necessarily the solution, but it's a really good way to kind of provide background and additional information as opposed to just the static information in the feed that may not be very interesting uh, for your audience. So it's, it's also understanding your strengths and weaknesses too and yep. your ability. Because I hate doing uh, talking head uh, video. I, I just, because I, I, I worry about the way it looks like, you know, do I need to take a shower? Do I need to improve <laughs> the white lighting? You know, do I do all this? But at the same time, it's like, well, that's not very valuable anyway. So the type of video I like to do is like these quick 30 second tutorial type videos where people yeah. learn something and get something out of it. And so it's just a matter, and I can do that. I can create them really quickly and easily too. So understand you know, what you do well, understand um, how people consume content and how they can get value out of you, uh, you know, when, right. you're, when you're deciding what type of content to create. Right. And uh, I think that that's, you know, important that uh, this podcast, for example, is a very long conversation about some in-depth stuff that impacts charities and how they do their their jobs. Um, but it actually is the highest level engagement thing that I do with um, people that aren't my clients. Uh, so, you know, I'm on Twitter, I'm on Facebook, I, I do the podcast, I have other things. But this format of an audio conversation that people can use when they're driving and walking the dog and doing all that stuff, they've got the, the brain space to get really in depth, this really works for this kind of conversation. So I don't suggest to people sit down on Facebook and listen to a podcast for 45 minutes. I mean, that's mm -hmm. just not how people use that platform. So this one is available as a download that people have in their phones and they listen to it when they're not in front of a computer screen or, a, or whatever. So it's great for charities to think to themselves, what is the kind of engagement that really works for this platform? And then, you know, we'll have other types of engagement in other types of places. But I, we're starting to run a little low on time, and I really do want to get into, um, you know, all the stuff that you do know about ads, that charities before the creation of Facebook used to mail things, you know, with the U.S. Postal Service. 
Mm-hmm. Tremendously expensive way to get information yeah. to people that generally speaking gets recycled. Um, so if if we think to ourselves uh, that this is the new postage, that this is what you know we're going to spend a little bit of money on now is when we do have the right thing that is a good Facebook conversation and opportunity and whatnot, maybe we want to promote that post. Maybe we want to spend a little bit of money to make sure that that delivery happens. And here's uh, where, again, I think that your work uh, offers tremendous value to to nonprofits to think about um, when do you pay to reach audiences and especially to introduce yourself to new audiences um, that might not be following you yet, that might not have that opportunity to see you organically. Um, but, you know, that that is a selective thing, too, that you don't just spam everything in an ad and expect the same results either. Right. Yeah, the the beauty of Facebook ads is that there's so many ways that you can reach your ideal audience. So you have an email list of people who have contributed before or have requested information from you before. Um, You have a website. And if you have the Facebook pixel on your site, you can then create audiences of people who have visited your site, maybe specific pages they visited that tells you a lot about who they are and, and, you know, how you can reach them. Um, you can create audiences of people who visit your site most often or spend the most time there. Um, and then you can also create audiences of people who engaged with your videos, who engaged with any of your Facebook posts before, who sent you a private message. So these are all ways of reaching those who have expressed some interest in um, your cause in the past without necessarily liking your page in the first place. So um, make sure you reach those people. And that could be, you know, it's just a matter of spending a few dollars a day. Like you could be $5 a day targeting some of these people. Um, and then it's a matter of, okay, well, we want to bring people in to let them know about our cause. At that point, that's, that's you got to think about this from the top of the funnel. What is going to attract someone's attention? Not that 40 page white paper, certainly. Right. Um, it's going to be, some you know some really interesting story whether it be in a, a link or an image or a video something that kind of encapsulates what's what you do what makes this cause so special and um uh, but it should be top of the funnel it shouldn't be immediately go probably right it, it, you have to determine what works for you but we want to make see who actually engages with this um before we even getting to the point of give us money so if they engage with it then we can add them to the, to an audience mm-hmm. to then go further down the funnel. Okay. So they have expressed interest in this. So maybe they want to know more now about our cause, or maybe now they're ready to, to donate. Let's, let's just ask for $1 or, or something. Um, so it's a matter of kind of treating this as a funnel, as opposed to, I think probably what a lot of charities will do is just try to hit as many people as they can and get people just to donate money. We want to kind of bring awareness first into the funnel and kind of warm them up knowing that not everyone's going to be ready to donate at the first inspiration. Right. And that in some cases, it's not even about the donation, but some other type of engagement in your mission work that you need. You need more volunteers, you need people to come to an event, whatever the thing may be that you've got messaging about. But um, I think in general, um, the the more mid-range and smaller charities have gotten used to the idea that Facebook is free. Um, And uh, therefore, even spending a few dollars a day feels painful, even though when you talk to them about what we maybe used to spend in postal mail, 
um, it's a relative pittance compared to the cost that, that most organizations had to kick out to reach anybody in any way in the past. But it is a change to think, uh, yes, there'll be some organic reach and that can be augmented by, you know, paying to play a little bit. And that's not an awful, you know, horrible failure. It's just a recognition that this is a tactic to be used in addition to organic reach for the right times and messages. And I don't think that that's, you know, testing is certainly, I think, a very important part of that in learning from those things. And um, I, I think every charity, of course, will have a different time, place, and, and use for ads. Um, is there still a concern out there about sort of a boomerang impact on organic reach, though, if you do end up doing too much advertising? Is that a thing that you hear about? Well, it's it's, it's a thing I hear about that's it's a, it's a misunderstanding. Okay. I mean, First of all, this is one of my gripes about organic reach is the way Facebook reports it. So it can make you believe that your organic reach is dropping when you promote a post because of the way they report it. So if you, if you, reach, if you reach somebody organically, run then promote that post, also reach that person paid, they no longer count you as being reached organically. So then they only count the organic side of it. So it ends up deflating the organic reach when the reality is you're, it was actually a little bit more than Facebook's saying. Um, I've I, that, that's only been over the last couple of years where they changed that definition of reach just to make it so if you add these two together, they add up nicely. Hmm. I, I hate it. Um, but uh, so, so the main thing is don't be worried about uh, if I start using ads that's going to hurt the organic reach because the reality is there's also organic reach that comes out of this too. So if you create this really good um, uh, engaging piece of content, whether it exists only as an ad or first as a post and then you promote it, um, you can get organic reach out of that too because the people that you targeted in that ad, they engage with it, they comment, they like it, they share it. That ends up reaching more people organically too. And that's not going to be reported on the ad side of the report. And they only report who did you how many people did you reach um, with your paid with with your with your budget, and not tell you about any of that engagement that happened organically. So um, I think uh, there's a lot of misunderstanding about the way the ads work. Uh, you're not going to be punished by using ads um, in terms of your organic reach, and uh, I think you should you know freely use that as part of your strategy. I, I think it's an important message and I appreciate you getting to it. We are running very low on time. I did promise to get you out of here on time. I could, of course, talk to you about this for another two hours because I'm really interested <laughs> in everything you've written about it. But um, there's so much more that you've made available um, through your site that you offer in training and actual support. Can you just tell people a little bit more about johnloomer.com and what you do there? Sure. So the type of content I provide um, is available at all le levels, whether it's free or paid. So I generally write a blog post once or so per week. Like I said, I'm about to, about to publish one right now. Um, I also have free webinars once per month. And my next free webinar is actually going to be on Monday. So you can either register for that on my website, which is easy to find uh, at, at johnloomer.com, or on my Facebook page, I'm going to be streaming it there live as well on Monday. So that that's that's the free side of it. I also have paid communities. So if uh, you want to get an ongoing get ongoing support from other advertisers like you, we've got two different levels of uh, a paid community. In addition to just one-off training, 
Um, my next training is going to be specifically on custom audience targeting, and that'll happen February 20th and 22nd. Good. And I think that idea of customizing your audiences and the reaches um, is really important and so different from that scattershot, just get likes thing. So it's yeah. a really good opportunity for nonprofits and communities to think, uh, you know, it's okay to talk at some cases directly to potential donors. It's okay at some cases to talk directly to potential clients that might benefit from your service. And sometimes they're the same audience, but sometimes they're different. And you can know what you know about your people so far, but starting to learn more by running some of these tests and seeing what kind of responses you get, I think um, they will tell you what works. I mean, it's not a, a mm -hmm. secret there. So, you know, you run, run a little bit of money through, you'll learn uh, pretty quickly what stuff reaches which audiences, what is just not the right kind of message for them. And it's it's very, very helpful. So um, yeah. we, we're one last thing I wanted to ask you about, and I just recognized I'm, we're about out of time, but um, in your post, you talk a little bit about the idea of um, groups and let's not go mess that up too. <laughs> so yeah. um, could you just uh, encapsulate as briefly as you can um, why some people may be thinking, well, I'll just you know abandon the page and try and start a group instead. Sure. So, you know, in, in the process of Making these latest uh, newsfeed updates, Facebook made it clear that you're going to see more content from your friends and from groups. And so immediately, you know, these light bulbs went off for brands like, ah, I'm going to invite everybody uh, to the, these groups, to this group I'm going to create. So you're going to, I'm going to make sure you see my content there um, and then just spam them with all of my, my business stuff or you know, the charity stuff, whatever, which charity stuff might not be so much spamming. But right. um, so I, I do think there's an opportunity there with groups. Um, I wouldn't look at it necessarily as being a, a way around the algorithm. It should be a way to generate um, good discussion around your subject matter, whatever that is. Um, but it shouldn't be a matter of, okay, now this is gonna be how they get all of my content. Now that's, that should not right. be your approach. So it's just, this is really all about um, making sure that people have a central location that, hey, you're the face of it, which is good, which is helpful, which is good for your brand, um, where they can have a discussion. Right. And important to remember for uh, charities that the, the focus and idea of groups is that personal thing. You're no Absolutely. longer the leader. Uh, you know, you may be a participant in what's happening in a group, even if your nonprofit name is on the group, you know, supporters of Charity X, mm -hmm. whatever. Um, but you're surrendering control at that point of of what the conversation is. And some of it won't be what you want it to be. And that's, you know, part of the risk of that tool. But it's also part of the reward of seeing those genuine things that come out of people's personal experiences. So some charities, again, it's the right thing. And they should be looking at groups and how they interact in groups and support them. But not everyone and certainly not just to try to bypass a perceived algorithm change. So um, again, we could go on and on and on, but we already have. So I just want to um, thank you so much for taking the time. Uh, for people that are listening again in the show notes, we'll have the links, but it's uh, John Loomer, J-O-N-L-O-O-M-E-R.com for more information about this. John, thanks so much for the time. Hey, it's been great. Lots of fun. Thanks so much, Steve.